Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today, George Hardwick interviews me. This is another Swapcast. In this particular Swapcast, it's actually uh, somewhat of a chronology of my cosmology. I thought that that was, uh, it's pretty necessary now that we're 50 podcasts in. We've been doing this for a year. Um, and just noticing the chat on Telegram and the people that I've been interacting with the most, I thought it was going to be a valuable thing to actually dive into um, how I see things. It's so interesting for me to interview people and get to know where they're coming from. I only interview people that I respect. And this is an evolving uh, viewpoint. One of my mentors in the early 2000s, uh, John Lamb Lash, he says, he used to say at least that uh, he only shares what he is learning. And I really love that viewpoint because I'd been around a lot of mystics and gurus and authorities that were always trying to come from this emphatic perspective of they knew and I didn't know and because they knew and I didn't know that I should be subservient to them and the older I get the more I realize this is life is a ever evolving perspective and uh, the cosmology that I have reflects that and so this interview series with George will probably do two or three and it gets into how I actually got to this point. Um, I've backed into everything. I don't take any credit for where I am other than when I've actually had a curiosity or whenever I've had an appreciation, I followed both. And what I mean by that is um, I, I was brought up by my parents. If I was curious about something, they, they, put no holds bar on my curiosity. They would have let me explore it to the nth degree. And whenever I feel appreciation, I let people know. And so this has afforded me lots of opportunity in life. And uh, I reach out to people that are awesome. And <laughs> I let them know I think they're awesome. And uh, the world reflects that back to me in kind. So this this first uh, interview, I let George just take the reins and and uh, go through it. He's been a very diligent listener to the pod, and uh, I want to get better. Um, I'm going to get much better in production value as we go forward, and we're going to add a live stream as soon as my wife and I get some babysitting. And I might even, depending on the daughter, I might even I might even do it with her, like you know, somewhat hovering if I find it's not too much of a inconvenience. Um, I work a full schedule. I have three full time jobs, and I do this. And I have to say, I get the most from this, even though I don't get paid. Um, I really love teaching, and. I'm engineering my life where I become a full-time teacher and get remunerated in that way. Um, so that's a way <clears throat> that I can actually express my appreciation to the universe is just teach everything that's been given to me. So that's, that's what's on the books for me. Uh, enjoy this interview from George Hardwick in my direction, and I will see you on the flip side. I'm not your 
welcome to a very special edition of either the Sovereign Human Show or the Biocharisma podcast, and I'm sure it'll be <laughs> both of those things. Um, this is uh, an episode that feels really important, and when I chat to a few of the uh, Biocharisma podcast chat members, they agreed. Um, so uh, Topher reached out and said, could I interview him for helping the community to land his cosmology? Uh, because, of course, it seems, a, it seems a bit of a, I never know if it's an irony or not, but um, that you, of course, it, one of the main focuses of every guest is to discover their cosmology. And yet um, all, we're left to kind of piece together yours. So um, my hope is that in this conversation that can flow. All right. Um, awesome. So I've, uh, I've created a few little words to uh, kick us off in a little intro style. Uh, so I'll do that. This is a little, little spoken word piece to get us started called Cosmologies and Celebrations. So whether he's resonating mojo balls, creating retorts, or exploring dome-building tactics, I'm like, how did one dude become so freaking polymathic? And we can learn a lot about it, and likely some biocharismatic truths, when we appreciate those who Topher likely would salute. Walter Russell, Wilhelm Reich, Victor Schauberger, Rudolf Steiner, these giants whose shoulders we stand upon, I challenge you to find a more potent crew who've broken through and pierced the mysteries of the veil. Of course their books were burned, because greed they spurned, their love was not for sale. And here too we must regale with tales of folks like John Bedini, plus Dr. Moshe Daniel, Eugene Malov, and of course John Keeley. And clearly too we must add Lau Russell, Mackenzie Gardner, and every other powerful female soul who is helping us to anchor this new breed of love we've come to hold. A love we knew of old, before the churches were churches and when the fasces were used for healing. So big up Martin Leakey for all his work has been revealing. And I'm feeling the need to honour a few more in these spoken words, like Chance, Dylan, Gabe, for the way they're lighting up the inner verse. And it would be absurd here not to mention Jorge Mesa, Tom Barnett, Ben Analog and Mike of Stellium 7. And of course, Jason of Archaics for how he's changing how we view the heavens. And whether you're new to this or you've known this stuff for years, I'm sure you'd agree that OGs like Ole and Max deserve a cheer. And when you hear the likes of Tom Cowan, Sophia Smallstorm and the one and only Dr. D, you begin to get a sense of this moment's opportunity that we build upon, thanks to folk like Mike and Dr. Bear from Alpha Vedic. This way we march with open hearts, we're thanking those who paved it, like Big Bear, Sam Tripoli and Greg of THC. So as I close this verse, I make that plea, of course, for unity. No need to fight amongst ourselves. That just undermines our wealth and gives the grabblers impetus to build their living hell. Well, me? I'd rather be living well in a star geometric, beautiful air creek dome. So how about we discover the cosmology of one who built such homes? Topher, I know my life has been enriched because you chose to follow your fascinations. So I ask mm -hmm. that whatever divinity may be, pour forth such inspiration that this conversation may help all who encounter you to greater understand their place, their role in God's great and wondrous plan. And so it is. George, that was awesome. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, brother. And uh, thank you for the energy and impetus to create it. So wonderful. Um, anything, anything spark off to dive in from that point on? Oh, God, there. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, you <laughs> just brought up the, the aircrete domes. And um, I was just in Costa Rica a few weeks ago. And essentially, um, I have a group there that's recruiting me to build a bunch, essentially like a little dome city. And I haven't, I haven't decided to take the job 
okay. whether or not I wanted to take the job. But when I was talking to my wife about it, Mackenzie, um, she, we both agreed that we're going to just go for it on our property in Missouri. And I'm going to actually build the first dome that I've done where it's a hundred percent my process. Yes. So I have up, up until this point, I've kind of um, hybridized other people's systems and obviously domes are just hemispheres. They're the oldest structures on the planet. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun with that. But the combination of technologies, uh, going ahead and combining the Japanese star dome, which is the metal skeleton, combining that with ferro cement, and then combining that with aircrete, and the aircrete will be infused with biochar, and um, and then putting in some electrical passive heating and cooling systems within within that that structure. And doing it all from like a low tech tech perspective. Okay. Because since moving to the United States, what I've noticed is is that labor here is very expensive. Hmm. And like well, you live in Europe, so labor would be even more expensive over there. Expensive and hard to come by as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I don't have it hard to come by because the bears are so cool. Like the people that live in this area, like I have a lot of builder buddies that are, yeah. you know, ch chomping at the bit. But I've I've had this goal for a long time before I ever before the bears ever existed. Is I wanted to have a system where just a couple of dudes could build something really kick ass that could handle fires, could handle earthquakes, could handle hurricanes. And also where only two men could do it and they could do it fast right. because <laughs> there's so many systems out there like earth ships and earth bags. I love those technologies. I think they're great, but people have no idea how much labor goes into those. It's like an extraordinary amount of yep. labor. And I've just, this, this is kind of, uh, embarrassing but i just did my first framing detail with local bears here to see how local construction works and um i've never framed a building with pine in my life we've framed hardwood buildings but i wanted to see what the, all the fuss was about with like modern building practices yeah, yeah. and uh it's cool like you have all these materials that are softer or fragile materials that you can kind of glue together like or nail together like paper mache and do something like that. But um, it reinforced in me that I want to do what, what I've been doing. <laughs> it reinforced in me that I really want to bring to market these, these domes. And um, yeah, it's exciting for me because I'm going to get to do it on my own property. It's only the second dome I've ever built for myself. And um, it's it's going to be fun. We're going to use it as slave quarters for our future builder buddies. And um, yeah, we're just going to go for it. So I'm, I, that that's a good place to start from. Nice. And I also didn't want to lose the significance of you because um, I, I almost feel like it's something in the field. I've had um, my own personal experience with this just recently and another friend of mine just saying, hey, now I'm ready to share my thing. So yeah. I guess, you know, that, that, that seemed a significant thing. Like you've been almost kind of like 
taking the best bits from everything and it's like here now you've got your your system is there anything about the internal process of arriving at that like you've got the external stuff of like air creep ferrous cement etc but is there anything that's been a process internally to get to that point it's a sense of self-worth so um because i kind of backed into building like i didn't get into building for other people i got into it for myself like i originally just did it because my wife and I needed a place to live and we didn't have much money. Okay. <laughs> and when, the second you hire somebody, it's like, you know, doubles your cost. So, um, but I'm such a weirdo. Like I, I'm always jumping into, well, what if we do it this way? What if we do it this way? What if we do it this way? And I've had coaches and mentors my entire life that I drive them loco or had drive them loco because like what I was doing was good enough. And they'd be like, no, no, just keep doing that. And I'd be like, I'd be like Tiger Woods in his fourth year in the PGA. I was like, yes. no, I gotta change, I gotta change my swing. I I gotta do. I I know I'm not hitting the mark. I'm I'm winning and I'm crushing my my foes, but I'm not hitting my internal. Like yes. as a living, yes. as a as a living man, there's just a, a chord where you know there's a there's a, a very very high standard and so even though i'm not a materialist i don't really see like you know what we live in is like crazy important you know <laughs> uh, like the 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 world of material is very temporal in my mind frame i still have this like really creative spark in me mm. and what i felt occur was I I was sitting down with this group that wanted to hire me and I, I felt very valued on every level. So I don't think I'd ever been met um at that level on a professional on a professional scale okay. with people that with people that had means. <laughs> like I've I've had to fight tooth and nail with clients, you know, over the last 15 years to like kind of get them to see my perspective and this was the first time i was in front of a group of people that had the means the motive and the opportunity and they're like we want you and everything i was sharing with them as i was doing the site survey on their on their property they were like they're like hallelujah you're the answer to our prayers like and so it, it just gave me a sense of confidence you know and i was telling my wife i was kind of embarrassed because I still need external validation, yeah. you know, and I, I'm not an island unto myself. It's just like with the podcast and with the chat, like I, I feel this incredible re reciprocal energy that's a, a occurring with that, that feels awesome. And it emboldens me to like really explore even more of what I've kind of put on the back burner for myself. Okay. Because because I don't have all that much, um, what's it called, uh, ambition. Like I don't have like a crazy amount of ambition, mm -hmm. but I do have I do have extreme curiosities, <laughs> and so and because I don't have crazy ambition, I kind of do need my environment to gauge to me whether or not what I'm actually doing is worthwhile got you got you 
And so even though I've been pay, like I've been paid very well to, you know, project manage and design homes and, you know, do these weird things that I've been doing, um, because I've met some resistance, not some resistance, I've met a lot of resistance. I guess it's not a lot of resistance in the sense that I'm I've been a pioneer in the field of ferrocement and aircrete, but now i'm getting to a level where it's like no here's here's a check do do you yep and that feels really good i feel like i'm actually really entering uh i had a german engineer tell me years ago he goes you're not you're not a builder you're an artist and you should be paid as such and i'm like well what are you talking about he goes you should charge an honorarium and I was like, well, tell me what an honorarium is. <laughs> and he's like, it's essentially like, it, it's an upfront fee for you devoting your time to your art. Yes. And uh, I've heard of some really, really excellent builders have that. And the older I get and the more experience I get, I think, I think uh, that's really a nice way to go if possible. <laughs> um, because it's like a living art. My old, my old website, which was biocharisma.com, which got stolen. I had a lot of, lot written on there about living art, like living in your art. And, and, um, and by art, I'm not saying like artifice as artificial and all this bullshit. It was like more about like living from your third and fourth chakra. Hmm. Like you can, you can create and you can put your own, like, you know, jazz on whatever it is that you're, whatever you're, whatever it is you're making and you can make it yours, you know, yeah. cause I've seen, I've lived in very poor areas of the world and it would be so beautiful how these Indian women would like paint their hovel of mud awesome. with turmeric and all yeah. these spices and they would find ways of doing these dyes in the clay so, I mean, it was beautiful art yep. in an area that like they literally lived in, in squalor yep. and then being in other areas of the world where they didn't have great buildings, but they would go pick the floral arrangement. They were always giving some sort of beauty to the world. And I found that very moving is mm. that like you can you can add beauty beauty is important aesthetics are important and you can live in that like you can literally live in that you should live in that you live in that that's invigorating yes and uh, and yeah so i guess i guess to answer your question directly it's just i've i've starting to get get some recognition in a way that is extremely supportive and that has that has gotten me all all juiced up to just go for it. Nice. I think there's a few things we can just reflect on here that can lead to the next pieces. Because you said you're not that ambitious, yet what I heard was also this in your description of honoring this creative spark. It's almost like honoring the God force within pulls you to a standard that is, is its own kind of art, if you like. Um, and there's, you know, the word honorarium, like you're also honoring the the creativity that wants to be born through you as well. So maybe it's not yeah. ambition, but you are, it sounds like you're 
keenly aware of a standard of beauty and aesthetic and of honoring what wants to come through. Yeah, it's that. And I also just have the gift for gab. So whenever I find something beautiful, like it sells. Okay. It really, it it just does. It just, I'm, I'm telling you internally, like to give you an idea, I, I can give you two examples that I, I know I live a different world than most people. Mm -hmm. In 2000, I think it was 2000 or 2001, uh, Honda had released the Honda S2000. And I had read about the car. I had a Honda Civic. I had my best friend had a Honda Accord in South Florida growing up. We put more stereos in those cars than you could imagine. Like I grew up as like a rice rocket guy. And so here's this straight four making over a hundred horsepower per liter. I could tell you everything about this car. It was in my mind. I go to a friend's house and I, I wasn't even talking to, to this guy, his, his uh, roommate. I didn't even like his roommate, but his roommate heard me talking about the car ends up buying the first one in South Florida. Long story short, within eight months, four of my friends had S2000s. And I could drive an S2000 whenever I wanted. I didn't have to go buy one because literally like my friends had the S2000s. Yeah. And so I was kind of bored of it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have to get it. And like it was it was funny as all get out because I ended up having a client years later tell me, oh, you would have been the top S2000 salesman in all the United States. Uh, and it's just not I wasn't like, obviously, I didn't work for Honda. Yeah. It was just something I was passionate about. And everything, too, is like, like, I've been thinking about having, you know, builder buddies come stay on the property. And so I just started looking for, for RVs for for guys to come come onto the property and like be able to stay in an RV while while we do renovations and start this dome project. Out of nowhere, like literally out of nowhere, a bear steps up and like, here, I need to store my R my brand new 35 foot <laughs> RV. Not just not just an old, you know, run down one like no no like primo. <laughs> it's nicer than my house. Like it's just out of nowhere. Just like boop, here you go. And so in my life, I it's very humbling. I have to say, like I've told people before, I'm that character from the second. Yeah, um, Deadpool. I was just about to mention your 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 superhero identity, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Domino because it's yeah. literally like if I give attention to it, and I laugh with my wife because I love to draw, and so. Um, I, when I start to draw something, it will come into existence. It's not, I don't know, I don't know how, well, I kind of have some theories, but mm. like it comes into existence. Okay. If I write something down, like if I've ever done a goal sheet or whatever happens. Okay. Like, so I kind of feel like we are here for the theories, right? <laughs> like if it, so I've heard you say talk a lot about <laughs> trust, right? Um, yes. And so I guess I, I was curious about the two ways that that could be, because I heard you saying to Chance that one of the reasons you like, you really vibe with Chance is there was a quality of trust there. Mm -hmm. And in the conversation that you and I had with Martin, one of the first things we spoke about was just this kind of trusting in 
God, you just trust that it's going to be provided, right? And so it sounds like somehow you've got that coded into your being. But I guess, mm -hmm. it, yeah, is there anything you can share on that that perhaps is theoretic that others might be able to apply? Because it'd be awesome if they could draw and it would come true, right? Just don't give the grabblers that particular. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the grabblers can get that because the grabblers are scared of death. Right. Like I would say, probably if you were to do like a a Venn diagram, psychological diagram of all of the spiritually unsuccessful people and grabblers being a big part of that, they're mortified of death. And I know, I know people that are very miserable, especially I've known them that the closer they get to their, to their death, because they don't have an afterlife, hmm. you know, they're, what is that? Atheists? Yes. Like in, in, they, they literally think they're, it's the end. Yeah. It's gone. And they act and they acted that way, at least in the time that I've known them. They've acted that way. Um, I was very, I had the benefit of having what's called an NDE when yeah. I was very young. And I experienced the exact opposite. I experienced just pure love <laughs> and support. And it was so much more than I had experienced on the earthly plane that for me and my other friends that have had the similar experiences, we all kind of laugh together like we one we all have this sort of like psychic thing that goes on between us okay. number two we all kind of have dmt always streaming through our system which my wife actually figured that out for me um <laughs> like i think i'm living very much like an internal lsd experience especially like with the way i see light and the way the way i transduce information mm. Um, but th it's just quite simply when you know that there is no end to the big I, there is no end to your awareness. Like it goes on forever. <laughs> well, forever is a, is a stupid term to say, let's yeah. just say. It's uh there's a saying in Sanskrit, Sat Chidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss. And it's true. Mm -hmm. That is that is a true that is a true phrase. When and I think all of us will have the opportunity to have that interface between when when you go from ego, when you go from the misidentification of your being. And you, that misidentification, which is an inversion of your consciousness, it disinverts. And then you, <laughs> you hit your sponsorship. And when you hit sponsorship, it's nothing but joy and love. Like it, it's actually, love is sort of superfluous because people have so many different definitions of it. It's literally joy. Mm. It's joy. Like, and the way I've tried to explain it to, to my friends is like, 
that which sponsors all activity and movement, it is just so happy that anything is happening. <laughs> it's so happy that anything at all is going on and that there is some sort of subjective awareness that's aware of it. It It is beyond. It's like the biggest golden retrieval that you've ever met. It that's just – it just loves and loves and it's just so ah that's that's literally what sponsors you yeah i, rem I remember a phrase that really stuck for me like eternity is a child at play and my daughter came up to me this evening just with her eyes like she, she realized something awesome and she was like daddy this thing's happening and i'm like yeah, yeah. No, amazing right and so that you know just hearing that it, it really really is that sense i i just need to because i'm pretty sure i've got what you you're saying there right but for those who might be engaging with this to understand you and your cosmology, right? The ego, the ident misidentification with the ego is an inversion. And then we disinvert and we meet, meet our sponsors, right? We might just need to put that into some slightly different language for people to land. Um, okay. So ego is technically a, a misidentification. So ego, ego doesn't exist. Like one of my favorite philosophers from India, his name was Nisargadatta Maharaj. And he wrote a book called I Am That. And in that book, I Am That, he totally disintegrates all psychology. Okay. It's amazing. It obliterates it all because he, log he shows the logical fallacy of projection. Okay. <laughs> and so what we normally identify with as our ego is a whole story. This, 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 this. And this story has sub stories and subplots and it has the fictional aspect of the story and it has the non-fictional aspect of the story. And it's a complete projection. And it doesn't really exist. Like right now, George, show me your story. Yeah, it's a tricky one. You can't. No. So what occurs then is the way the ego survives is, so the ego writes this story, <laughs> has you identify with it, and then has you defend the story. Got you. <laughs> right? And, but the story actually isn't so, because the past is the past. The, show me the past. You can't. So you can show me consequences of the past that are happening, quote unquote, right now to yeah. you. And then, you know, you can project that, okay, if this behavior occurs now, then in the future. But technically, right now, you are. And so unlike a lot of Vedanta Advaita teachers, Nisargadaha Maharaj, Vedanta Advaita means non-duality. Yeah. So the path of non-duality he was very very intent on saying and expressing logically that um your life like like the like what you're actually identifying with as the story is not who you are and then when you get into the sages like raman maharshi and they actually have you investigate like well who are you like what, like when you say I am, you know, George Hardwick, well, who is saying that I am? Well, who am I? 
So I went into this exploration for six years. I lived in an ashram for four years. And I really went down that tunnel. But I have a very weird thing that goes on with my consciousness because of my death experience. So what occurs for me is like when whatever I look at long enough, it disappears. And I think that's actually so for everyone. But for me, it kind of happens. Well, I'm not going to make that projection. I don't know what happens for other people. So I was doing this very, very intense type of meditation for a very long time. And I found that my I was existence, like I am. But existence now for me, as God wants it, is here. Yep. It's I have a body and I have all this stuff. And and I always had I had enough trauma as a child to become a go codependent. So as a codependent person, I was always in hyper awareness, fight or flight with my environment. So I always had this fight or flight thing going on just because that was the way I would survive, you know, as a child. Yeah. And so what I what I relaxed into was all those things that I'm aware of is an as aspect of self. And that's what's so like right now, like no one can tell me any different than that right now. And so in, in that relaxation into the dropping of that, I wasn't trying to like get into my astral body. I wasn't trying to reject, you know, the physical body. Um, I wasn't trying to do any of those things. It was just like real deep okayness mm. with what is so. Even all the foibles and all the bullshit internally, like all the, um, all my own faults. Because there is the recognition that all this stuff that is occurring, it's just occurring. And it's occurring in front of me. And so even right now in like my deep states of prayer, when I really pray, like the the prayer is getting me back to that interface with the source, the sponsorship of of being. Yep. And it's my prayer. I, I was a terrible meditator. I'm a much better prayer because with for whatever reason, that's just my Western mind, the way it's it's wired. Uh, horrible pillow sitter, excellent excellent activity person. <laughs> So it was just this constant, uh, in prayer, my prayer is very much, if, if we're to talk about it from like an Eastern perspective, it is complete submission. Yeah. It is like, I can only rest in you, God. And then if I don't feel rest, I'm like, I'm, I'm apologizing to god that i can't feel rest and ask for the strength to drop into the restful state mm. and that gets back to the trust yes. that you brought up because the only time in my life 
things appear not to be working well is when I'm not in trust. And I think things do work so well for me because I've had enough trauma and lived through it to be like when trauma occurs now or some something that's abrupt. Because <laughs> we could just call some we can call trauma abruptness. Yes. When something abrupt occurs to me now, I don't overreact. I also think that's just a function of maturity. And I can find trust much, much quicker in that. And that trust is, that trust cleans everything. Huh. That feels significant. Especially the, what we spoke about with the uh, the cleaning of the battery as well uh, in the conversation right. with Martin, right? That um, it, it is like for, if I took it into some, you know, trauma-based language, like if I'm in crazy ass fight or flight to drop into that trust, <clears throat> instant reset of we could say it's the nervous system or whatever but there's something even potentially even deeper than that where it's just ah oh, i'm i'm back sort of thing um so you spoke about this interfacing with with god right uh with your sponsor and and that through this kind of meditation practices you'd come to in this deep state of acceptance of what is right and i also heard you say there's a couple of things that I, I wonder how connected they are to what we've been discussing so far um, so the two things to prepare for this, by the way, I just literally was listening to all your podcasts and any time a phrase jumped out at me, I just noted it down. Right. Because I'm like, that's probably important. Right. So the two that jumped out here are I'm not behind the desires that enter my mind. And that charisma is total acceptance of what gets you excited. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms I, of, it, yeah. Go for <laughs> it. So in my young life, I was a golden retriever. And I was kind of like a, I was a, a very anomalous being to my Jewish friends. I went to a, a private school in West Broward, Florida, that was essentially a Jewish prep school. And I was one of five goalies right. in, my in my grade. Can I ask, were you, yeah. were you boarding or did you, was it a day school? No, it was a day school. Okay. And it just happened to be that way. It wasn't like, it was just like nouveau riche money, you know, type of private school. So all the, all the old money would send their kids to the east side of town. All the new money was sending their kids to the west side of town. My parents were pretending to have money. They didn't have money. I was, I, I was the goy whose dad was a contractor where all the kids where their their fathers were all doctors or lawyers like okay. and it it was the goldsteins the goldbergs the funks the gordons the 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 the, the um oh god it was all jewish right and so here i was this like super spunky bright-eyed blue-eyed you know blonde-haired like really like a retard strong goy amongst all these Jews that were, for lack of a better word, they were physically, I guess you would say uh, they were physically hampered. Yeah. 
they all had some sort of like condom Malaysia or Oscar Schlotzkers or asthma. And when I got to that school, I had been four years removed from dying. So I was physically like very frail when I was really little. And then on my way back to health, like I went to the other side of the spectrum and I was just like the Hulk. <laughs> and I was very grateful. Like I just loved life. I always had charisma and I could draw and I was just like, I had boundless energy and I was, uh, I was anomalous to my Jewish friends and their families because I'd go over to their house and I would say, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And thank you so much. I showed gratitude. Right. And I remember being in one of these households and they were the, they were the wealthiest people at my school and, and their son had taken a shine to me. And I, I really liked him too. Um, we were good friends for like four or five years. But I was literally they 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 looked at me like I was like a, like I was a zoo animal. I remember they would have because they had this huge house that had this double vaulted living room space where there was like a bridge that connected the master bedroom over to where the kids slept. Okay. And we'd all be downstairs like playing and doing whatever. And I, there was more than like six or seven times that the parents would have their friends over pointing at me. Like, like I was like some, <laughs> like, like I was like, and I was always dirty and sweaty and like my Jewish friends never sweat. It was like, it was so funny. I, I was such this odd duck yeah. and I didn't care. Like, I didn't care that I wasn't the same. And so whenever there would be any type of insults or some sort of, like, jokes coming my way for being different, it did not, like, none of it fazed me. And it, it was just one of those things where I started to really recognize, like, whoa, I'm really different. Because I, 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 I couldn't ever understand how people didn't feel gratitude. Like I always, I always have felt gratitude. Like I felt, I felt grateful. Nobody put that in me. Like okay. nobody, nobody had to engineer that from a moral perspective with me. I felt grateful. And so I end up go to that school through middle school. And then my dad's like, you have to like, kind of see how the other half of the world lives. Okay. And I was a good athlete. And he's like, I'm going to put you in the biggest, baddest public school in South Florida. And you're either going to sink or swim. He literally told me when I was 14, he was <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not paying for your college. So you're either going to get, go to college by getting a GI bill, like going into the military, no. or you're going to get a scholarship. So he was very upfront with me. And I was like, I was like, oh, I'll get a scholarship. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I ended up going to this massive high school that wasn't so Jewish. Like there wasn't pretty much, there was like probably like five Jews in that school. It was like 10 times the size. And, and now I'm the outcast because like 60% of that school was black. Right. And then like 20% of the, the school was Latino. 
um like and this is like 1990 so yeah. this is like height of the show in living color with the wayans brothers now i go from jewish culture where i'm the outcast golden retriever to now i'm in black culture with everybody wearing like you know the big pants and ha shit hanging down and like and like and that's been the and with them I was still the golden retriever, but now I wasn't like the physically optimal guy. Right. They saw me as rich and smart. So it was so weird. It was like this crazy juxtaposition where when I was with all the Jews, they saw me as like this crazy good athlete, you know, yep. hyper, like the, I had my Jewish friends literally like more than once go uh chris tone it down like what boys say that to other boys that's how hyper i was like i was just like Argh! and um it was really cool because i met my best friend and he had a similar amount of energy that i did and we would ride our bikes everywhere like we were going to go into the olympics riding our bikes uh just because there was never ever a lack of energy mm. And we were both really good athletes. And so I go to this this big school. And now they're looking at me like I'm intelligent. And I was just trying to survive, to tell you the truth. Yes, like that, that school was like, that was so shocking. Like the difference, like the cultural shift. Like it was like... I mean, I was seeing things as a 14-year-old in the Black culture that, like, I had no frame of reference for. And it was, like, every day in my face. Like, I had teammates on my football team when I was a freshman in high school that had kids. Yes. Like, like I, I didn't understand it. <laughs> like, I... I being like thrust into black culture and like what that was from a, like a sexuality perspective was so night and day from what, you know, going through puberty around a bunch of Jews, like little Jewish kids and like going, I went to over a hundred bar and bat mitzvahs, like literally. And so it was just so crazy, the difference, but the one thing I had in either group was I noticed that my enthusiasm for things would start to like lead. Okay. Like I had, I had, I had the capacity to like, especially like in the black culture, like those dudes, they're fucking huge, strong. They're physically superior to me, but like I had just willpower. And it, it, the willpower was never from like, oh, you know, well, at that age, I did, I did have some notion of, uh, I guess you would say, what was the term I used before? Like climbing, it's that term for climbing the ladder, like in the world. Oh, uh, it's oh, ambition. Uh, ambition. There we go. Amb yeah, yeah. Ambition. Yeah. yeah. I did have some ambition in sports, but my yeah. ambition in sports was more result oriented. It was more about girls. Like I just wanted to to be with as many girls as possible. Okay. Um, 
it wasn't like it wasn't like I was projecting into the future like I'm going to play in the NFL or anything like that. I just started to notice like, whoa, I do good at sports and girls like me. Woohoo. I like that. <laughs> and so um but amongst these men, like in my Jewish cohort, they were smarter than me. Like a lot of these kids were like smart. Right. But I had the enthusiasm. Yeah. And then in the in with my black friends, like they were physically more gifted than I was, but I, I would end up leading them because I was like I would get determined about something. Mm. And that energy I've seen is just something that um once again, I think it's just something that's endemic to my being because I've lived in other countries now and I noticed that I just want what I want and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like, because what I want in life is actually really beautiful. Yes. Like I, I don't have any throttle down you know, with, with that. And what I've noticed with other people is one, they desire things that are very harmful for themselves or are, are maybe not in the best intention for others. So they meet a lot of resistance with that. Cause we all live in these Venn diagrams of, of energetic influence. Yeah. And, um, I want the best for, for everyone as long as they're not like you know trying to like fuck with me or whatever <laughs> so I, I don't i don't meet resistance that way and also um like like i said i don't have like the lack of ambition that i have internally does not create resistance in the world like one of the most uh, influential books I ever read in my life was Vagabonding. Yeah. And that book made so much sense to me because I guess my particular type of psychology is into efficiency. So another thing that I was very lucky with in my exposure as a child was I got to be around like really rich people okay. and see how miserable they were. So probably by like age 12, I did not have the fantasy to be rich. Got you. Got you. Or the better way of saying it was, was I knew money did not equal happiness. Because like I said earlier, I, I grew up as a, as a codependent hmm. and a sympath. So I could feel everything and everyone in the room because that was my survival mechanism. So having that there, people could not fool me on a on a emotional level. So I'd be around like my my stepfather was a surgeon, you know, had all these surgeon friends. They all had money and they would party. And I would notice as a kid, I was like, they all do a tremendous amount of drugs. Okay. Uh, they're not happy. 
then I'd be around all like the the hyper rich Jews in my life, and they were like all like on every pharmaceutical thing, and like so neurotic, and like yeah. everything was like this like slog, and I'm like they're not happy, and then you know I'm like so I was set free at a very early age from from thinking that what the social conditioning in the United States was of what, you know, success means and success bringing happiness. And I was already a happy dude. Like I already had the juice. So I just explored all the things that I was into. Like, I just, I'm just like, I'm just going to go into God gave me this desire you know, I'm into weird things relative to the norm. It's not like I'm like trying to like go into things that everybody else is going into. Yeah. It's obvious that there's some subjective aspect of God that wants to experience this. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. So I kind of I, I have just never I've never been really tethered to the world, and every time the world tried to tether me to it, like with crazy good offers from a financial perspective the situations were so horrifically bad Mm. that i rather die okay like i was and i knew it there was no confusion in me i was having a conversation with a friend um two days ago it's like either it's a hell yes or it's a hell no and there's no middle i love that i love that yeah so I absolutely love that. If we were to just, and I may be, I may be weaving too much here, but if this is to try and explore, you know, your cosmology, or so we began this question of almost like, how did this trust get encoded into you? And like, is there any kind of way that others could in, encode such trust, right? And I guess I'm wondering whether whether your near death experience was a part of that that you kind of yes. you came back and you're just like holy fuck, I get to live, this is fucking like And you also, from that point also, had absolute trust that you were okay and you were taken care of, right? So you got to come back and live, and you got to come back and live from a point of, oh my God, I can just trust, right? So then you've got this total acceptance of what gets you excited and of wanting what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And that this this kind of enthusiasm is like, it's almost like, the, I can't remember the exact, you know, chance, we'll obviously know better than, but the etymology of enthusiasm, it's something about the energy of God, right? Um, yeah. Um, it's being its being kind of lit up with the spirit or, you know, energy of God. And... Well, charisma, charisma specifically is different. Mm. So it was 2013 and I had just like built my first biochar reactor. And I was like, I just, I had been in Costa Rica for six years at that point. And just started to be able to grow food without it getting eaten by these crazy leaf cutter ants. And in 2013, in the neighborhood that I was in, it was like, when I say it's a neighborhood, it was like, I mean, maybe a hundred people, a hundred people per square kilometer. Like it wasn't a neighborhood. Yeah. But the internet I had to go to town for, you know, I had to have to drive into town once a week. I would go to an internet cafe, download all my podcasts, go back to my, my hovel in the, in the jungle 
and just read. Like I read books and experimented and massaged people. And that was my life. And I, this biochar thing was blowing my mind. And I felt for the first time that my guard, my name Gardner, my namesake was actually starting to come through. Like the real me started to come through because I was like, I I had fallen for the Eastern spiritual thing and, and tried to become like a Vedanta Advaita Nami. And I wasn't that. <laughs> and I was humbled by Costa Rica and I was in Costa Rica living very simply and very happy with it. Like I was extremely happy with what I was doing. I would build here and there, but I never went out for business. And I'm doing this biochar thing and I'm like out in the garden. And I just, one day I was sitting there with these two palm trees that I planted. And I was really upset because the palm trees weren't doing well. And it was really early in the morning. I, and I was actually peeling uh, coconut husk off the coconuts because I would make my own coconut milk for my for my coffee. And I was just out there and I really wanted, like deeply, I wanted to know what I could do for these coconut palms that I planted for them to to do well. Mm. And out of nowhere, they told me. And the the one coconut tree was like, uh, up here, we don't get as much wind as we would down by the coast. We need you to move the palm fronds we need you to move and i thought i was nuts and i was like i i kind of was like looking around and then i just settled back in because i know my awareness and i dropped into my awareness and the voice was the same thing and it was just like when you water us water water from the top down and that will move our palm fronds and also Whenever you go down to the ocean, you know, get get some salt water and bring it back. And I started to do that and they took off. Wow. And those same palm trees were what fed my my baby after she was born because my wife wasn't producing enough milk. <clears throat> so we sustained our, our baby on coconut water from those coconuts, wow. from that particular, mm-hmm. from those... And so it was like, I listened. And then that week when I went to town, I got this podcast and I I wish I remember who the woman was, but she was a master gardener and she would not drive in cars or fly in planes. And this person was interviewing her and they're like, well, why don't you, why don't you go in, in cars or in planes? And she's like, well, the plants told me when you're in metal boxes, if you move through space in metal boxes, you'll lose the ability to hear us. And at that time in my life, it was really funny because I wouldn't, I had, all I had was a quad, which is like a four wheeler. So I I wasn't in metal boxes. I was always on top of something moving through. And I was like, and I was learning about uh, negative ionization, positive ionization, all these things. And I was just like, oh, wow. 
And I was just feeling this like effervescence of like, I also started to feel like uh, I was going to be a dad. Like I felt that energy welling up in me. I just felt fertility and abundance. And, and so um, I had come back to the States and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this podcasting thing. I should get on social media and do all this stuff. I've received so much from, you know, Richard Grove and Jan Irvin. And at that time, Joe Rogan. And like, there were so many people that like John Lamb Lash, you know, Michael Tassarian, like all these cats that like, literally that's, that was the only media I consumed. That was it. And, um, I I was like, I was just feeling the joy of just having access and time. Like God has given me time. And 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 I was feeling the joy of just like I the only reason why I have the c- capacity to explore these things is because God has granted me a situation where I have time freedom. Cause I was listening to other friends of mine that were in the world and all this stuff. They didn't have one spare minute to like actually give to contemplating some of these things that I had like days to contemplate. Yeah. And uh, I just felt all this joy and I was like into biochar and I, I was like, well, I think I should brand something with, biochar my best friend at the time she was like very big into branding she had a huge um dress company and she was trying to coach me up on all these things and i've always been pretty good with words like like figuring stuff out like you know what's kind of catchy and i was like i had fire to soil and i was like that's cool but biochar like people need to know about biochar and then I looked up enthusiasm and then I saw charisma. I'm like, the first part of charisma is char. Bio charisma. Boom. <laughs> I bought the web. I bought the uh, URL and I was like, cause then I looked up the definition and of charisma. It's like, it's, it's, it's essentially, I'm paraphrasing this. It's a gift from God. The amount of appreciation one feels. Okay. Because that is like, that is the juice. Yeah. The juice is like, so I feel genuine appreciation for things and people. Yeah. So I have like all the faults that most people have. I, I'm disorganized. I could be, I could be more disciplined, all this stuff. Dude, the majority of people, when they feel real appreciation, they're like, hallelujah. Yeah. Like we feel it from our kids. We're blessed. And, you know, but I was around a lot of spinsters. I was around a lot of people, including myself, that didn't have kids. And like, I was around a whole new age world where there wasn't there wasn't an expression around uh, child rearing as being a positive thing. Okay. And so, 
those people rarely visit true appreciation. Because kids are wonderful because one, like you were saying earlier with your daughter, she like, daddy, daddy. And she just had this joy. And it's like, well, how many adults in your life actually have that? Yeah. Right. And so that's the juice. And that juice, what I started to realize too, was like, I could like bend the universe when I would get angry, but in a very righteous way. Okay. And it was like on a level of like, I saw it in sports earlier in my life. And then I saw it again where this just crazy amount of energy would come through me. And then I would direct it in a very pinpoint way and just everything would bend to it. Huh. That that's really interesting, actually, because as you say that, I was like, oh, yeah. I, there's a few moments in sports, and my sports was soccer and mm -hmm. uh cricket as well. Um, also played a bit of rugby. And I was I was always probably like one of the better players on the second team, so to speak. And I was like, so I was super small. Um, right. Apart from cricket, cricket I was a you know, I was good at. But I remember now you describe that a few moments where I put the biggest, the best player on their ass in tears mm -hmm. because there was a focus of like like I said, I on some level there was a quality of I'm not sure it was anger, but it was purpose. It was focus and purpose, and there was probably some anger in there of like I'm sick of being the small second person. You know what I mean? And there was like there was a different quality of energy that came through me. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So that. Yeah, in soccer, because I'm I'm a five foot nine white dude. Yeah, I had no like in my high school soccer team. We had a bunch of Jamaican guys that were like fast. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I remember, I always scored a lot of points, but the where I played, I played striker, so the forwards would go. I'd send the ball up. We'd play this diversion tactic. They would then drop the ball back to me, and I'd like one touch it, you right, know, from right. yeah, yeah. 40, 40 yards out or thirty <laughs> yards out, and just like knuckle the ball in the net, and like that—that that was our plan. We had this, this—I had this w one guy on my team named Jomo. He was the fastest guy on our team, and I remember our coach was trying to get a razz out of he and I because we were the two best players, and we kind of led the team, and. <laughs> This guy was like legitimately faster than I was like by, it wasn't even close, but he, he said something. He was like, it was like one of these drills of like, okay, whoever, whoever gets to the ball is done with sprints or some shit like that. I looked at, at, at Jomo, I looked at him and he knew I was going to beat him. Because in my everything in my being was like, I'm not running anymore today. Yes. And I beat him, and everybody on the team lost their shit. There were so many instances like that in my life, like where it was like it, all the things were like seemingly stacked against me. But for whatever reason in my being, it was like, no, this is what's happening. Mm this is what's going to go down. And that's why I talk a lot when, when talking about trust and then talking about the zone, 
I really want like, like the zone to me is like one of the more humbling things that there is. Like for those of you out there that haven't experienced it is you'll be performing something. The body will be doing whatever it is that it's been trained to do, but it does it near near flawlessly. It does it near perfectly. And it does it in a very pressure-oriented situation. It just does it. And you're there, obviously, but the identity that we were talking about earlier, like the the misidentification, which is the ego, is not there. Yeah. It's just spontaneous genius that God does through you. And it happens. And what's really funny for, for athletes or any performer that is willing to admit it, it's a paradox. Because you're the best when you're not doing it. It just happens. Yeah. And, the, and I've like one of my friends, uh, Joe, I think he was like a three time rugby world champion. Like I had him on the pod. Yeah, yeah. Um, I built my first Tico dome for him. He and I would laugh our asses off because here's a man who literally played on the largest stage in probably one of the best sports in the world egoless person you know and i would hear all this bs from people like all the gammas out there like when i was coming up like all these gammas would be like oh you have such a big ego uh and but all my all my besties that'd be around it was like no 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 the more you hit the zone the less ego you have Like, because it's happening through you. The reason why you succeed is because there's a lack of ego. Yes. And the gamma can never conceptualize that. They think they would get to wherever it is through their ambition and desire. But in reality, the people that perform the best in the best situations, they all are selfless in their preparation. They go through initiation rites that are so brutal. <laughs> All it, a real initiation rite eliminates ego. Yes. And so, and that's the when these gammas will spurg out about stuff. I was like, you guys are like, you couldn't be further from the truth. The reason why like the alpha athlete or the pro athlete gets the women is because they're fucking better than you are. Like, let's be real about it. <laughs> they're physically more talented than you are. They can perform in higher stakes situations. They're probably smarter than you are. And more than likely, they're a much better entrepreneur and will be better at providing for the woman as it goes like let's just be real about it yeah. and like i my last i think it might have been my very last game in the arena football league so if you don't know what the arena football league it's like tier two pro oh, football okay yeah. yeah and so i i had been like on the outskirts of the nfl and that i wasn't like my heart wasn't in it and so i was just doing the arena league because it was a good paycheck and it was like it was in my hometown i was like ah, okay 
if an NFL team picks me up, okay, whatever. And so we were a terrible team, but they were a good group of guys. Like it was a good group of guys. We had a lot of fun. And it was the end. I think we won our last game and we were all in the locker room and we were like, we were all vibing, you know? And I'm looking around the room. And I was like, this is like a cool group of guys. You know, black, white, small, big. We were all athletes, obviously. A couple of the guys were like super entrepreneurial and like had their side hustles going on. I was going to massage school. We all had a side hustle, you know, and we all had like, you know, pretty, pretty women, you know, like we were like very successful young 20s men. Right. And I'm just sitting around that and I'm like, these guys are so much cooler to hang out with. Than the dipshits that I had grown up with that weren't athletes. Because when I would go around those guys, the amount of excuses I would hear, like literally all I heard from some of these guys were just excuse after sob story after Mm. excuse. And like, I'm like, man. Like how many times I heard stories of like, oh, if this would have happened or if if this didn't happen or I was just like, no way. Uh uh-uh. And so it was really cool for for me in that to go from that venue of being in athletics to going like directly into my spiritual life. Because I never allowed there wasn't any uh, space for excuses in my consciousness yes there was something that i really i i i give to my father was my father when i was coming up he never ever ever let me ever say an excuse for anything Mm. like (laughs) ever like i knew in my house like my eyes would have had to been bleeding for me not to go to school so i didn't never tried not to go to school like I never tried to get out of practice. I never tried to like do like I always tried to get out of schoolwork because schoolwork was so gay. But um like my dad, my dad had like there was not ever an excuse that I could use around my father. So me being around other people like that um was wonderful. And I've had enough of those peers around me that they they got the juice, man, too. They got the enthusiasm. They have the charisma. They really do. Like, they mm. all lead. All of them. That's an interesting point. They all lead. And, it, like, is it a conscious choice? Or is it that, like, they're, pull, no. they're pulled and they, they bring others with them sort of thing? They're all, like, reluctant alphas. So I like how BB puts it like uh, the reluctant warlord. Um, And I don't know enough about the social sexual hierarchy to say like, what is what emphatically. Um, So I'm just talking about my particular friends. I'm not making a generalization, but I have five friends that are all like pro level have been pro I've had three mentors that were like top of the world at their particular modality. 
and they all end up because of their expertise and their capability they are all either own their own business or some sort of like real influencer um at some point i had like out of my book of massage clients i had like eight ceos okay. <laughs> and all of those types were very similar too yeah you know um where it was just like birds of a feather kind of flock together it's it's not like like likes like hmm. um because that it's that, that very much was actually a question i was like i was like hey like <laughs> How's Tobin like got this many kind of like broad fascinations that he's kind of actually anchored into the world doing stuff with, right? But then the other was like, I looked at the like <clears throat> your podcast guests and I'm like, Ole Damagard, like Jennifer. I'm like, this it's like a who's who of kind of like really well informed truther and or you know, like Kurt Stone, Owen Benjamin. I'm like, that like there's I was like, what's the what's occurred here? that means that your path has woven that level of connection with these, these people who are really at the top of their game in so many different fields. Have you, have you got any read on that? Or is, is it just because you happen to visit certain places and likes, for example, an Acapulco would be a node point where you might come into contact with loads of those people. Right. Um, so I guess, well, yeah. it, it's like with, so it's the enthusiasm, it's the okay. charisma. So like, with uh with dr jennifer daniels i started looking into her stuff 2010 i had a bunch of experiences with some really crazy parasites yeah both physical and spiritual and uh i just started a correspondence with her like direct correspondence because she lived in david panama which was like three hours away from me okay someone in her family died and I was like, what can I do for you? So she came in and stayed with us for a couple weeks. And so every day, like we knew, like we got to know each other on a very intimate level. Okay. Like with Oli Demigard, I, <laughs> I'm over in Europe. I have this crazy Belgian girlfriend, her, her parents have a condo in Malaga, Spain. And so it was like my last soiree in Europe before I was going to go back to, to Costa Rica, go down to Malaga to party with her. And we kind of have a falling out. And one of my clients that I had been taking around in Costa Rica to find a property She's like, oh, come to my farm in Spain. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can bow out of this bad situation. Nice. And who who do I end up sitting in front of? I'm sitting in front of Ole Damagard, Max Egan. Who's the third? Oh, and John Lamlash. Right. <laughs> and so Ole and I, you know, Ole and Max and I, like we really hit it off. Yep. And I... And I'm sitting there and I'm having a, this great talk with Luis and her people and, and uh, Kim and um, Ole are there. And I'm talking with them and I'm like, oh, I'm running this conversation. Hmm. We're four hours in and all eyes are on me. 
Now, I didn't go in with like, oh, I'm going to be whatever. No. I was just like reading accurately the room. And then I had given talks at different um, at different music festivals where I definitely was not the headliner. They had much bigger headliners. And then I'm then I would watch in some of these conversations that were going on because some of them were like panel discussions. I'd end up taking charge of the whole thing. And I was like, what is it about my energetic field that ends up creating a gravitas? One is I really care. Yes. I actually care. Like I actually make my own biochar and enjoy it. When I used to talk, you know, teach earthen building, it was because I lived in an earthen house and I built it with my own hands. When I talk about polarity therapy, it's because I've done it for 25 fucking years. Yeah. It's like these things I care and there's an energy and authenticity in it. Yeah, there's alignment. And it all is the same thing. It's all energetics. That's all it is. And so whether I'm talking with Ole in person or I'm in front of Stephen Brooks at whatever festival and like I end up like leading that, it all just comes down to I care and I know I know my core. I know what I know what's important to me. And I'm not trying to pretend to be any like I'm not trying to be anything or anyone else. Like right. I realize I'm very eclectic and I have lived a very unique life. And people sent, seem to find it interesting. But what they find the most interesting is the energetics of it. Yeah. There's juice. And the juice is the enthusiasm. The juice is the charisma. And what's coming up, the question I have is like, you care, right? And I heard you say that like you're, you're you know, not such a great meditator, really good at prayer. And in prayer, you're seeking like it's absolute submission. You're seeking to get back to that place of trust. And I, so I guess I wonder is does like is the wellspring of this charisma of this enthusiasm is it that willingness to totally submit i think that's part of it okay. i i can't i can't say that that's i i i don't know yeah it's like part of the reason why i got into astrology is like after being in the, the world of like the new age for so long where people talk about manifesting and, mm. you know, smell their own farts all the day and like really believe in their own, you know, stuff. I'm the exact opposite in the sense that like there's an aspect of my consciousness because I do trust so deeply is very deterministic. Like the best things in my life, I had no idea about. Like none, zero. I can take zero credit for them. Yeah. And everything I've ever wanted, I've gotten. 
So that's a very weird combination because I've gotten things and been disappointed about my ex because my expectation wasn't met, even though I got the thing that I wanted. And at the same time, I had no idea. I had zero idea this other thing was going to happen. And it's literally been the best thing in my life. Mm. And so just from a data set perspective, that annihilates the ego. Yes. And so it's easy for me to fall, fall into prayer. Because bhakti, the so in in the conditioning that I was exposed to, the in Eastern thought, you had the nani path, which is the path of knowledge, and then you have the bhakti path, which is the path of devotion. I'm naturally a devotional being, and so devotion and worship to God, I know in my life. The best things have always happened when I wasn't, when my will was not involved. I mean, literal miraculous things have occurred okay. when my willpower wasn't there. And so that's awesome. <laughs> For me, it's like, okay, cool. And I also get it. Like, I see the function of will. I see, like, especially like when I'm having to lead men. You know, I'll invoke my will just to like get some piss and vinegar going and get, you know, light a fire under people's ass. Yep. But most of the most of the time, it's not real. <laughs> like it's not like, you know, it's. I, I, I really have that devotional aspect of my consciousness where when I say I know I can only rest in God. I really know that. Like that isn't, that's just not, you know, word salad. That's like for real. And does, does what gets you excited and does what you want flow from there? I don't know. Um, you know, like looking at my luminaries and stuff like that, it's, this has also made me somewhat deterministic okay. <laughs> is that like, it's just like, oh my God, like, duh, this transit or this stellium's happening right now. And then this is what's flashing in my consciousness because I also want to make it known that I don't think we all have the same experience. Now that sounds like a very oblique, ubiquitous thing to say. Everybody's like, of course, we don't have the same experience. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, really? When I say we don't have the same experience, I'm saying the more I get to know people, the older I get, the more I recognize we are all having a very unique experience from one another. It's a very unique experience. And I don't, and I, that does not get lost on me at yeah. all. Yeah. Because that comes down to everything. That comes down to how you think, how you perceive, what you perceive, how, how you register time, how you register different stimulus. 
like it's amazing the the level of uniqueness of experience and i think one of the one of the problems i had in my youth was i used to project that we all had a very similar experience yeah 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 and we don't <laughs> i think it's taking me a bit longer than my uh, my youth to get to there i just even like even like a year or so ago there was a few times where i was like george you, you've literally just been assuming that person sees the world the same as you and they simply don't and you got pissed they, off with them because they don't see the world the same as you um, no. and it just <laughs> it's so simple like when you when it's uh when it lands but so um there's a few there's a few little bits on my list that are kind of like they might seem a bit more like i'm not even sure 3d is the right word um because i've heard you say we are inside god's hologram um which uh i very much appreciate that that frame as well um but I, from uh, your conversation with michelle gibson um mm -hmm. you took you exploring like this you know this worldwide star fought civilization and and the kind of the phrase the highest potential that humans can be do you have like is it do you have a do you have a sense of that of, of like do you, is it almost do you have an image of what that is in your mind at all or uh yes um so i've always been obsessed with scale in my life okay like one of the funniest scenes to any movie in the world to me was the beginning of Spaceballs, where they just show the endless you know imperial ship do you remember that scene in Spaceballs? I, I don't know is the sh short answer um Okay, so, you know, in the Star Wars movies as a yeah. kid, what was so cool was that there was a Death Star, and yes, it, yes, was yes, the, yes, yes. it was the size of a planet. So when Mel Brooks was making fun of it in Spaceballs, he literally, like, for five minutes just showed <laughs> one, one ship moving across oh, the street. <laughs> and I loved it. Like, my daughter and I, like, I love the whole notion of Titans and like godzilla and yep. king Kong, like these just huge beings and um i've always had that i've always had this like whoa like so i can feel energetic fields yep. from from people i can actually feel uh, synthetic energetic fields in certain circumstances but let's just say bioenergetic fields i'm i'm attuned to as a polarity therapist and what i started to notice a long time ago um with when i was doing working on couples i would have couples that sometimes the couples couldn't procreate and they they egoically said that they wanted to oh. <laughs> um and i would know why from their energetic bodies you know and there was something about a, a being that was living in truth, like really living in truth, had very little contradiction. Their energetic body was massive. Okay. So I extrapolate that into imagine if we were in the field where we didn't, we weren't ruled by powers and principalities. And everybody had that that conduit to trust. The energetic bodies, your body would grow to match your energetic body. 
there wouldn't be any limits you know and you would have like i think uh I think Owen really connected on me uh, with me because I did a series with Mike Williams back in the day. And I was describing to Mike Williams this picture from my family at the turn of the 20th century. And they were all square jawed, big eyes, beautifully dressed, just like to the nines. Everybody was gorgeous. Everyone. Like everyone. And I would just look at that picture in my grandmother's house, like for hours. And I, and I was looking, I was looking at people like that in the eighties. And I was like, why aren't people that beautiful anymore? Mm. I literally said that as a little kid. So I think I had some remnant or something like, how is it? Everyone in that picture is like stunning like a 10 and then my dad showed me pictures of him from high school stranahan high school in the 60s that's where they filmed the all these spring break movies in the 60s was fort lauderdale beach and it was like it was like my dad's high school stranahan was like the high school that all those kids dude they were all abercrombie and fitch models like my dad had an eight pack, just washboard, just, they were all gorgeous. Like all of them. And I was just like, wait, in the sixties, you guys look like that mm. in the aughts, 19, the early 1900s, they look like that. What the fuck happened? Yeah. What happened? And because at the same time, I'm going to school and they're teaching us about evolution and that we're getting better. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I might be shallow, but I'm into beauty. I love symmetry. I love geometry. The buildings were better. Yep. The people were fucking gorgeous. Like, you're lying to me. Like you go to the Walmart now and it's like literally death warmed over. It's like, that is the end. Yes. That, that is entropy fulfilled. And like, so no, our, there's such a beauty because God doesn't mess up, man. Yes. There is such a, like, there's such a beauty and such a goodness and it it's just right there it's like right there it's right there and for whatever reason this is you know that's why i i've gotten a lot of solace from knowing and reading the mahabharata and like reading about the yuga cycles and stuff like that because it makes sense that you'd start off with negentropy, which is negative entropy. You would have these massive systems. You would have these incredible beasts. You just have this incredible expression. And then as the, the, the bubble of, of awareness shrinks, everything shrinks within it. Like the terrarium shrinks, the things within it shrink, the consciousness shrinks. 
and then it hits its terminus and then boom it goes back out because that's the way i interpret it i apparently i'm the odd duck because every person i hear now is like no you go from the kali yuga the iron age to the bronze age and you work your way up and i'm like no that's not the way it happens it's literally like you start at the best like babies i watch my little girl she can fall hit herself hurt herself whatever like her body heals like immediately like that you know like and that's within a overall bubble that's within an overall system that doesn't want her here imagine our consciousness in a system that fully supports you on every level spiritual emotional you know environmentally dude hmm. we we're, we're literally invincible right now right now we're just running a death program because yeah. we're in we're in the terminal stage of the cycle we're in the kali yuga and when i say that i'm not negative i'm not like oh you know when the world ends like i'm not like that at all because there's always the outliers that the way i've seen god work through nature is it might take out a large amount of people but one it never ends because this is the leela this is the play this is the maya that goes on yeah but there's always fringe elements that make it to the next stage there's always witnesses because god always wants a subjective aspect of himself here to see what's going on so that's and i wonder is that because that's one of the things that really struck me is uh, when i came across first you know like the, the alpha vedic folk um to to start to discover you described it as the meeting of the one mind right and that, that was like i couldn't have come up with a better phrase just you know what chance is doing with the universe like coming across your podcast um you know i didn't even know who benjamin was for a period and i was like holy fuck it's so good to see it like like I, you know i wrote a book a few years back and i spoke about the sacred role of the all licensed fool as in the the one who could call the king out and um and i was like oh my god what an incredible thing to see like the modern like epitome of that but also of this kind of like alpha masculinity coming back in it like just so these it, it almost felt like what we're seeing here is a kind of like a synergetic ecosystem of those fringe elements mm-hmm. kind of finding itself um and it's it gets this kind of weird label of like the truth of movement and stuff and there's a whole shitload of infighting as well like, like, um but it seems like there's something that's trying to anchor and yeah, so I guess have you got any, uh, what have you got a take on that? You you like you called it perfectly the meeting of the one mind, right? Mm-hmm. And now that we've got this fringe, there's this sort of fringe element of ongoing witnesses. Um, and so yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious to know if you if you've got any takes on that. It's all resonance. It's all harmonics. So, like likes like. Yes. So I've seen attraction like distance appears to be something but it's not yeah action action at a distance just you could just rephrase that as action yeah so 
you have a deep intent for something, whatever that thing is, if it's a deep enough intent, the way this holographic reality is set up, the way God's hologram is set up is God wants you to know what you want to know. I mean, it it's set up that way. Yeah. That's why you can't, like, people can't bullshit me in the sense that if somebody, if like a man was ever to come to me and give me excuses by why they couldn't receive something or get something, and I'm like, well, then you're not earnest. Because in this experience, I've seen so many, like, I guess you could call it dark horse tales of people that had no business of accomplishing something yeah. or no business of receiving something. And it happens. And what's the one through line that they all share is that they were absolutely earnest. And so I think, you know, like to give you a, a hint. So I had interviewed David Weiss and became friends with David Weiss in 2015. In 2018 or 2019, maybe he's like, he messages and he's like, dude, you got to check out this comedian, Owen Benjamin. He's, he's, he's going through it, man. He's going through the, the moon thing. So I started checking out Owen's stream and I was dying laughing. So I, I empathize with everything that he was going through because what he was going through is Saranac Lake with howling at the moon and just being so pissed that he was turning into a flat earther. That's what happened to me in Belgium. <clears throat> I was alone. I was going through the flat earth process, you know, three years or four years earlier. And I was just like, no, I can't be a flat earther. And so I was laughing and I was so endeared to how honest he was being about his process because it was a shitty process to go through. It's a shitty process to let go of where you hold your hope. Yes. That's like, that's a death of the ego. Yes. And he was honest about it. And in my being, I was like, Oh, dude, I want to meet this guy. I want to talk to this guy. It wasn't like a month later that he starts talking about my podcast with Mike Williams and starts quoting me. Like he went through each one. It was obvious he just binged and like listened to the three in a row. And he was like, oh, this dude, Christopher Gardner, da, 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 and he did it. And I was like, now, that is just resonance. Mm. I resonated so deeply with what he went through in his process of becoming a flat earther. And he resonated so deeply with what I was talking about, where we come from dignified roots. We don't come from monkeys. We come from titans. Mm. We come from the Titans. He resonated with that so deeply, and I resonated with him on his on his 
honesty around the ego death of, of space. We had to meet. This is a real, this is a, so for those listening, this is really powerful. Like that when you frame it in those terms, in, in re terms of resonance, it's, it's not, a, Oh, how lucky. Wow. How surprising. No, like it's a, it's an absolute given that it will happen if the quality of resonance is there. Um, so yeah, I've, I've written here like resonance, um, love, and there's always enough energy. And my question whether neutral is the base resonance of God. So I've heard you talk about the importance of like neutrality and things, right? And whether neutral is the base resonance of God. There's so much juice running through me right now. So deep neutral. Now I will put this caveat out there that I am limited to words that I know. So the map is not the territory. Yes. I've trained in biodialectic, cranial sacral work, and polarity therapy. I've been with thousands of clients now. There's, when you work on somebody and you work with somebody, there's, you'll come across different varying levels of tension in different aspects of the body and you'll be able to feel whether or not something is appropriate or not and the client will tell you oh this hurts or whatever they're feeling pain yada 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 and so the standard thing is to manipulate whatever is dense to where it's not so dense anymore energy can flow and the body releases but the <laughs> This goes back to like Raja yoga. So I know I'm being a little bit roundabout with this. In biodialectic craniosacral work and in just regular body work, there's another thing that will occur is that whenever you can just look at something, feel it as it is, it dissolves. Like it literally dissolves. Now, the reason why I said this is a corollary to a Raja Yoga thing is that when I was learning Raja Yoga, one of the one of the teachers of Raja Yoga, like he was like one of the the he was dead when I was studying him, but he had written a bunch of books. That one of them I was reading, and he said something that resonated to my near death experience. So I really listened to him. He said. He said, if it exists, God wants it to exist. And it wants to be seen as it is, whatever it is. So when you start to understand that, you really get to see how much of your will is within your experience. And what I mean by that is most people are experiencing their will they're not experiencing the experience as it is. Yes. Their will has become a the the <laughs> the colored glasses, the rose-colored glasses, you know, that's talked about. And so when you can actually see something and not label it and just be with it. It's like when I was with those palm trees. And the palm trees like start watering me from top down move my palm fronds 
if I would have sat there and judged it and been like, whatever, I never would have been able to give my baby girl coconut water. Yes. So what I've noticed in in cranial in the cranial sacral work, they really teach this is where once once the body once you get down into the into the nervous system level of sensitivity of a body, there's these movements, and you can start to feel uh, vibratory patterns. And some of these vibratory patterns are not. I guess you would say, quote unquote, healthy. It's not your job to change them. You are literally bearing witness for God. And the whole thing, and I use that terminology, they don't use that terminology. Yes. That goes back to the near death experience is like the sponsorship of this whole thing is so happy that anything has happened. There is so much joy, like so much effervescent fucking power that whatever is occurring is supposed to occur. Whatever it is, honor it as God's creation. Even if it ends up being a a headache in your wife Mm. or an owie on your little girl or, you know, a friend with a broken knee or whatever it is. It is. That thing is. And the less your ego is there, the more, and by ego, I mean misidentification. That's all ego is. It's just a misidentification. When you can just be with the situation as it is and with it as it is, it resolves, it rectifies. And I think that's why things like uh, people use like something like peyote to really get healthy really quick is because peyote does not allow any story you have to be with whatever is and like i don't think a lot of people actually know what that means when i say you have to be with what actually is that means you're not being with the story you're not being with your opinion. You are actually with it. Whatever is happening, that's what you're with. And that is a thing. <laughs> and in Raja Yoga, one of the tenets is nothing survives the light of your awareness. Which is true. Hmm. So... I don't know whether it's useful to to share an experience I because I'd I'd heard I was like, what is he talking about this bearing witness for God thing, right? Because I really understood that this neutrality was important. So I've been experimenting with fasting quite a bit, and I had this experience the other day where I you know I was like, oh you know I'm, I'm fasting, but I really want some food, and so I was like, oh I wonder if this is an opportunity to practice this thing that Toph was talking about, right? So I was like, okay, I really want some food. So like. I was I was kind of bearing witness to the part to the I don't know if part of me is the right language, but this is how it played out. Part of me that really wants some food. Oh, there's also this other part of me that's judging the fuck out of me for wanting some food because I'm fasting, right? Oh, mm-hmm. well, what if I just what if I just accept that part of me? Oh, hi, hi part of me that really is judging me for having right. some food. And suddenly it was like, like that was, it was like something just shifted. And I was like, 
oh, that actually really wanted me for a new board. But like, but it wasn't a kind exactly. of, yeah, I, see, I do, it just totally the entire, it was like this tension that had been set up of, mm-hmm. I want food. No, you fucking, no, no, no. Just by bearing witness to both those sides, the entire charge of the thing just dissipated completely. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm anywhere near to that, but I was like, huh, there's, I can't dispute what just happened as I tried to do this bearing witness for God thing. So um, yeah, I share that in case it's useful for anyone. Oh, that's brilliant. That's exactly it. Because that's the thing is what, what I have found in my own self and a few of the people I've talked to this about, what we resist, the mechanism of resistance is connected to the belief in permanence of the situation. So we'll have a sensation that we don't like. Part of the fear around that sensation that we don't like is that this will be here forever. It's very subtle. It's an underlying part of our resistance. Our resistance is coming in with the assumption that this thing that you don't like, this thing that you don't want, part of the reason why we don't want it is because this thing will be here forever. And that's because the eternal moment of life is now, right? So in a way it is forever. But from the mind perspective, you know, from the limited aspect of ourselves, it's like, okay, this, so you like, you feel this sensation of like, I really want to eat. And then you then feel this other aspect of being come in and has all of its judgments. You're just with that and you get to experiencing, get to experience the judger. Yes. That's perfect. That's why like in that whole mechanism, then the, the fear that was going to sponsor the binge eating (laughs) now that's gone. And so the, that, that desire leaves, dude, as, as, as it was said earlier, Everything that exists wants to exist. It just wants to be seen as it is. Just just see it as it is. Like, just see the perfection of it. I see it. And if you really see it, it disappears. And this is why, like, Buddha, the story of Buddha is incredible because it is the story of deep neutral. Deep neutral, you could call it the middle path, whatever. But I won't even go into the behavior of that. Yeah. But in his enlightenment, he literally was neutral to his imminent demise. And he put his hand on the ground and he asked, he asked the ground, he asked earth to bear witness to his demise. He was, he was that okay with it. Like, I, I'm, I'm good with this. And then he was clean. Like, literally, we have that power. And I'm of the mind that there are certain beings here that, like, literally are their whole, whole awareness, their whole process of being is actually to kind of devour the Maya through their utter acceptance and love of it. Huh. 
speaks to, I don't know if you're familiar with the left-hand path in Tantra, of like their way to God is to totally experience all of the Maya. Um, that that's that's not what i'm that's that's a that's like zorba the greek that's like one layer lower than okay cool no, so, yeah or a couple layers no i'm talking about literally these are beings that are just on the witnessing level okay good and they are just they are the most utter con they're coming from utter love and contentment and they're just witnessing and by their witnessing everything as it is not wanting any change the leela disappears that's their function i think that i think that's one of the angelic functions i think like part of the the game of life like in the physical realm is that we have these supernatural sponsorship and a lot of times some miraculous things occur just because the witnessing awarenesses that are that are witnessing your particular story mm. love the story so much it just kind of dissolves is uh, is it almost like that so if they're watching because i heard you just what you said i think your words were it's a serious game but it is a game right yeah and but like almost like our wit our and I heard you say we we each have a cadre, right? We each have this cadre of supporters, right? Or something. Yes. So but it's almost like our cadre are sitting like in the bleachers watching the game and they get so into it that they like almost witness it into changing, perhaps. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Right, that's such a beautiful thought. Because <laughs> it's not because it's non-will related change. Yeah. So the reason why this is important, and I should say this just so people get it on the physical level, you can manipulate any situation with physical will and have it change, but it's very temporary. Yeah. The shift is temporary. The reason why you go towards this path of being in this in the more subtle is because the subtle, the subtlety of it, the deep neutral of it it disallows the boomerang effect. The effects stay much, much longer because the, the natural system then comes in line and then the healing effervescence of that being, their healing comes through. It's not your will that corrected anything. Yes. It was your lack of will witnessing whatever's going on there that actually allowed the them to heal thyself, heal thyself. And so that's a that's a oath that I had taken, you know, first do no harm and he heal thyself. Like that's something that I've lived by for close to 20 years now. So um it's a you can get things done with willpower. And I think a lot of the momentum that we see in entropic systems is a lot of the willpower yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of certain, certain beings. And you can get to a point, not saying that all willpower is bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's a lot of will being enacted. Yeah. There are, because you had asked, like, what is like the, the pinnacle of like, the the human you know story or existence or whatever 
I think it's where there's this continual flow state where will isn't a part of it. And it's thy will be done, not my will. And in that there's this peak, this peaking of potential. And in that peaking of potential, then there's even more graciousness. There's even more joy to be had, which then fuels even more of the the humility that it comes through, that comes through true accomplishment. And that, that paradox of, of being in flow and it you're doing it but not doing it. Right. That humility that's there. So there's a, like we're coming up on two hours. Uh, you know, what the how you're going, what you what you've got to do. Um there's a couple of bits potentially connected to this that are on my uh of my quotes. Um if you want to explore a couple more of them connected to this. Sure. sure. Um, so I guess within this, what I heard you say there as well is like that there's there is a kind of there's a it's almost like there's a building of a resonance to it's, it's, that my word would be force like if you're trying to do it through will you're forcing right whereas when you allow yourself to be in the resonance of thy will be done there is a, a kind of there's an effortlessness and a miraculousness right and a humility mm-hmm. um so how does building your spiritual muzzle velocity connect into that so I've experienced this thing called the Shishumna in the East, which is the the way to say it is like we have a very subtle tether to what's above us. Yeah. Um, and what's above us as you go in that direction, the higher you go, you get to the quote unquote most high. <laughs> there are directions in this in this realm and the most high this cord as far as i could tell now when i had the direct experience of this the first time i was only four years old and my consciousness was that of a four-year-old but when i dropped from what is above heaven the heavens and dropped into my body, I went down, I went down a cord. The best, the best uh, likeness of this cord that I've seen in a movie was in the latest Dune that they made, the laser beams that they showed in that, in that movie. Yeah. It was like the laser beam was like diffuse light that was like smoky. That's the closest thing to what the shishumna looks like that silver people some people call it the silver cord that silver cord is a spiral it's a well it's hollow (laughs) you know from a foreign perspective from the outside it's like you know very very fine spiral and that's like when we fall asleep (laughs) A lot of times you go up that you go whoop like you're you are there but you're not in your body you're not in your so and this is like a lot of the yogis and a lot of the nanis have tried to cultivate um, a continual a will bait well 
a lot of them try to say that it's non-will based, but in my experience with the ones I've met and read, it's it's will. It's their willpower. They try and cultivate sort of like a pumping system <laughs> so that they can traverse this when they want. Okay. So that's cool. You know, everybody has their own thing. Spiritual muzzle velocity to me has to do with your spin state. Okay. Now I'm talking about me when I say this. I'm not projecting this onto anyone else because we're all different. <laughs> but my spiritual muzzle velocity, which is the speed in which I can actually connect with the most high, is connected to my heart. And my heart is felt as the horizon. So this is where this was the end. This was like when I actually came to the I am. I was the horizon. And ever since that, like understanding of that energetic, quote unquote, circle, because from one dimension, it's actually felt as a circle. But let's just say from the emanation of the body, the heart is the horizon. When I feel, and I'm not talking about the physical heart, which is on the left, like this is the spiritual heart. This horizon is the heart. And when I can feel that, this shishuna, the silver cord opens directly. And I'm in direct jurisdiction with my creator. That's spiritual velocity or muzzle velocity. And the reason why I brought it up that in the other podcast the way I did is because there is a spin state. There is a reason why um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with vortexing things. <laughs> like the vortexes have been a very large part of my life uh, for a good 15 years now. And I build structures that induce... Um, let's just say at least half of the toroidal field that will help with that jurisdiction. Nice. I'm uh, like, I am really excited to see as you build out your domes. Uh, I know you've mentioned the kind of, you're getting this potential like earth-based battery capacitance going on, like um, to see, I think the, the, the likelihood of some kind of, quote unquote, free energy system developing through your domes, I think is very, very high at this point. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see that unfold. Um, never, never use the term free energy around me. Yes, so over unity. There we go. <laughs> I've listened to enough. I've listened to you say that about four times as well. Um, thank God I put it in like quotation marks as well. Um, all right. So, uh, like, I feel like we've, we've done a good bit. There's, you know, there's a couple okay. of things wanted, like, you, the four power plants you resonate with, for example, like, but I, th I feel like unless, unless you want to dive into kind of, you know, cacao or ayahuasca or whatever, and those things like, like this feels like a good, a good point. This, this feels like a really good point. Yeah. Um, and almost to kind of just reflect for myself, I like, I, I, um, one of the things that you said we haven't touched on, but it said, but we have 
is the only real knowledge is epiphany. Um, yes. And particularly in what you were talking about, how you met with Owen and things and that resonance piece, that has been an epiphany for me here on this conversation to recognize that distance, like when we're talking in terms of resonance, mm. there is no distance, there's just action, right? And right. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, um, for the number of ways that you have helped me to reframe things in my life, I am deeply grateful. And I am, again, I can't speak for everyone and everyone in the, you know, biocharisma podcast community and stuff, but I'm pretty sure that, yes, we're all unique. I'm pretty sure I would be speaking for a lot of them to say that some of the ways that you have helped to reframe our thinking about things has been of immense, immense benefit. So thank you. And I speak for myself there. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been my pleasure. And I love the community. Like we geek so hard. I I I went through a, a really I went through a desert of philosophy for like three or four years in Costa Rica. Um and I had to start a podcast because that was the only way I could start to resonate with like likes like. Yes. But and understanding I I I had to reach out because without philosophy in my life, it's not really worth living. And um yeah, and so it's just so great to see now the just the community is so much fun. We have so many like nerds nerding hard. It's it's so great. I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I, I never knew so many messages could be sent about Terps. It's uh, like that's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and BG put down the Palladians, BG. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to hear about the Palladians. <laughs> oh, mate, that, like that's been so much fun as well to have that like lampoon because uh, I've I've had a fair a fair few friends in the in the, in the Galactic Federation, shall we say? So. Um... Oh, dude, I and the reason why I can joke about it was because I did all that, like. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, I was totally into all that BS. And that's why I can laugh at it. It's just like, it's like, no, <laughs> time out, <laughs> put it down. <laughs> so it's fun. It's all, it's all in good time. Everything has its time and place. You know, we all have our buffers and we, it, it, it's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, never forget that however you want to frame it, my choice is God is a child going, oh my God, this is so awesome. Wow. It's so great. <laughs> um, with that said, you've promised it a few times. So uh, here publicly, I'm going to invite you at some point to publish your essay on surprise. Um, yes. Because that would be wonderful um, for us to have a read of. Um, and just to give a shout out to the whole community, um, whether this community is the Alpha Vedic, Inverse, Biocharism podcast and everything else out there doing this amazing stuff. Thank you so much for all of your unique contributions to this incredible weave. Yeah, uh, it's thank been you wonderful. for this conversation. Thank you. Yes. George, this has oh, been brother. great, my friend. Outstanding. Have a wonderful evening. And uh, you too. You soon. All right. See you in a bit. See you. You ought to know. Well, now you. You ought to know by now I hope you enjoyed the interview of me from George Hardwick. 
Uh, he's awesome. His poetry is right up my alley. I, uh, <laughs> amongst other things, I really uh, got into writing poetry, especially after my freshman year English lit in college. Uh, I was very, very moved by Robert Frost and, you know, the other great American authors. And um, I wrote poetry. I had uh, actually courted quite a few women by writing them poetry. It's a very Piscean aspect of my consciousness. Um, so I hope you enjoyed his intro. That was something that was very special to me. Um, I, I can't wait to explore more of his poetry. So hopefully after the, that interview, you have a little bit more of a framework of where I'm coming from. Um, I've been around the bend quite a bit. Uh, I've really explored concepts that I talk about. So if you're new to the chat, if you're new to the podcast, I don't speak about things I don't know about. I'm very, very uh, specific. Like if I don't know something, I just say it. <laughs> I, Because <laughs> there's so many things I have no clue about. Uh, for instance, like I'm learning about the Ozarks right now because I'm new to it. I don't pretend to know best practices with gardening or farming here. So I don't speak about it. I'm I'm making lots of biochar and I'm learning best practices. And probably in like five years, I will talk to people about best practices of how to grow stuff here. But if somebody asks me about how to grow cacao in the tropics, I can give you best practices in that. So if you're new to the chat, if you're new to the podcast, um, it can seem like I'm a little bit... Uh, Author like authority driven with how I speak, but I'm authority driven because I've lived it as a 48 year old man that's been exposed to a ton of things um, and has gone like balls deep into a lot of things. I'm I have the I do have authority in certain things. Like I am an authority when it comes to domes. I am an authority when it comes to different construction materials and massage and those types of things. So just trust in the fact that I'm not going to lead you astray with those things. And I'm always learning. Whenever I come across something new or something better, I am so excited. And the best thing about the chat is that there are so many of you people out there that are like so much better at things than I am. Um, <laughs> like I've gotten super chats from like uh, certain people where they're making tensor rings better than I've ever made a tensor ring, you know, like uh, the the metal working. And I have friends now that are like master uh, welders, like, God, like I could only imagine how many hours they put into their craft. So I'm always happy when somebody else is much better at things than I am, because then the way I feel that in my system is like, oh, that's one less thing that I have to do. <laughs> That's one less thing that I have to master. I can delegate that. So that's where we're at with things. Uh, like I said, uh, we're going to have another one of these interviews pretty soon. I'll probably put it out like around New Year's Day. Um, right around then, I think. I think that would be really good. And I want people to to uh, give me feedback. Um, please reach out to George Hardwick. I forget what the name of his podcast is, but that will all be in the show notes. And um, yeah, I'm super excited uh, for for this whole thing to grow. 
more than likely I'm going to go on to Rockfin. Uh, they've reached out and I think that'd be pretty cool to do live streams and super chatting in that way. And uh, that should be a lot of fun because <laughs> out of all the things that this pod has brought me other than talking to just like some super kick-ass people is uh, the chat is so much fun. You guys are just a, 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 a nutty bunch and I really appreciate that. And uh, we have a, a bunch of humor, like there's nobody's getting uh, too, too uptight in their britches, if you know what I mean. So thank you so much for joining us and we will see you soon.